There's a book a lot of you know about, a story called The Hiding Place, written by a lady named Corey Ten Boom, and it is the story of her family. The Ten Booms became involved in helping Jewish people escape through the underground from the Nazis during World War II. And about in the middle or before in that book, Corey's two nephews, Peter and Bob, burst into their home in Nazi-occupied Holland with the warning that the Nazis have surrounded the block and they're searching the homes for young men to conscript into working in the German munitions plants. They knew that this day was coming. These sweeps called the Razia and uh, 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 what they meant had every young man dreading what would happen. They would be bussed off to Germany to work in the factories. So they opened the trap door under the kitchen table. These two young men climbed in there, covered it up just in time. Nazi soldiers burst into the Ten Boom home. One soldier spoke and said to the girls and the aged father there, where are your men? And Corey's niece, Kaki was her name, who had been raised by her folks to always tell the truth, said to the soldier, there are three. And when the soldier pressed her about, well, where are they? She explained, well, one is not here because he's away at theology school. What about the other two, he pressed. And again, she was raised to tell the truth. She said, why, they're under the table. So these soldiers cocked their rifles, pointed them, while one of them pulled back the tablecloth and the table. No one there. Cocky burst out in nervous laughter. The soldiers got angry. They quit their search in disgust. They left after a few minutes. Corey's family eventually became involved in the Dutch underground, hiding Jews who were escaping from the Nazis. And in the middle of occupation, they were hiding refugees during the Holocaust. Soldiers came looking, and the refugees were hidden in the hiding place. So they would go on. Now, I want you to imagine for a minute what it would have been like to be Peter and Bob just under the floorboards listening to all of this, listening as your little sister rats you out. And imagine what it would be like to live as many of those Jews who passed through the home did every hour of the day in hiding, hoping that the soldiers would pass over and not find you. You'd be careful to stick to the plan, wouldn't you? You'd be careful. You'd be thankful for self-sacrificing people like the Ten Boom family, people, by the way, who put their lives on the line and they eventually ended up being told on and arrested and in the concentration camps. But you would be thankful for those who were protecting you from certain death. In Israel's history, there was this single night when death came through. And it passed over the whole land. It's recorded in Exodus 12. We've already heard a bit from it. It was the last of the ten plagues. It was the ultimate persuader for the king of Egypt to finally let Israel leave. In every household, God said, the firstborn would die, even of their livestock. God said it was his 
Passover. It's in Exodus 12, verse 11. Israel's about to leave Egypt. They're going to head toward the land that God had promised to Abraham about 2,200 years before, and they're going to take the scenic route In fact, as a nation, they've already had the scenic route. God could have just marched them out. He could have squashed Egypt behind like a bug. Instead, he has executed judgment on the false gods of Egypt, every one of them. If you look back at the false gods of Egypt, one of the plagues corresponds to every one of them. And the scenery of the nine plagues is fresh in the minds of the Hebrew people. Up to this point, the plagues haven't been directed at Israel. Up to this point, they've been kept out of it all. The firstborn, though, of every household is going to die in this plague. It's going to be different. It's going to involve everyone unless something is done. Every family is going to be struck. God's going to pass through the land and throw papers. And every family is going to be struck. Open up your Bibles, if you would, to Exodus chapter 12. We're going to read from there again, starting in verse 29. And I've got the same bad light that Kent had. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon and all the firstborn of the livestock. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where someone was not dead. Then he summoned Moses and Aaron by night and said, Up, go out from among my people, both you and the people of Israel, and go, serve the Lord as you have said. Take your flocks and your herds as you have said, and be gone, and bless me also. The Egyptians were urgent with the people to send them out of the land in haste, for they said, we shall all be dead. We're in week two of this series, Are You Impressed? Remember, we're looking at Bible types. A type, remember, is some person or some event or thing that's in the Old Testament that, first of all, really happened in history, but then it also serves as a shadow to foreshadow some great future reality that we get to read about then in the New Testament Like animal tracks, animals will often leave tracks. And if you follow animal tracks, it will lead you to the animal. Like a sidewinder, rattlesnake in the desert, you could follow its tracks. Just be careful because there's an animal on the other end of the sidewinder tracks. There's a picture of that too. There it is. And just like an animal leaves a track that can lead you to the real animal itself, many of the Old Testament stories can help us appreciate and understand the future truth to which they are pointing. The whole scene of Israel's exodus from Egypt and what God had Israel do during that time comprised one of those Old Testament events that foreshadows a very deep, very rich, very important New Testament reality that you and I live in today. And in case you can't tell, I'm excited about that. 
And to get there, we need to begin with the type, the shadow, and why it happened in the first place. So go back in Israel's history. Remember that Israel moved to Egypt because of a famine. Joseph, his son, was second in command of the nation. And the fact that he was there saved their lives. There were 70 who moved to Egypt, and then Joseph died. And there arose a king who didn't know Joseph. And for 400 years, the Israelites were made slaves. They grew into a huge nation, and the Egyptians abused them. God heard Israel's cry, and with Moses' leadership, ordered the Egyptian king, remember, to let my people go. We wouldn't know much about slavery today, would we? After all, we're pretty free people here in the United States, right? We dealt with that. Unless, of course, you're one of the 53 million people aged 12 and over who used illegal drugs or misused prescription drugs within the last year. That's over 19%, by the way, of that age group in the United States last year. We're free. Still, somehow, though every year 3.3 million people die due to some misuse of alcohol in our nation, we're free, right? Unless you're one of the 14% of U.S. college students who report they have a problem gambling or one of the 10% of U.S. adults who admit to having an addiction to Internet pornography. We're free, though, right? Free to stop gossiping or slandering, free to put down our smartphones, free to turn off the TV, free to set aside social media, right? We're free. And if you can't relate to one or more of those things, then maybe you can relate to what Jesus said in John chapter 8 when he said that everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Or maybe you could relate to what Paul wrote in Romans 6. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. Or to quote a famous theologian, Bob Dylan, you got to serve somebody. He's right. You and I and everyone around us too, we have lots of opportunities to be slaves. And we also have the need to be freed from slavery. Maybe, just maybe, the story of Israel being freed from Egypt should be of interest to us today. When the Pharaoh of Egypt wouldn't let Israel go, God served up, one at a time, serious, miraculous disasters. No, not the Academy Awards, the ten plagues. Water turned to blood, Frogs, gnats, flies, death of the livestock, boils, hail, locusts, and darkness. Every time, every time Pharaoh faced them and managed not to let Israel go. And it wasn't until the tenth plague when the firstborn of every Egyptian household was struck dead that he finally gave in for a while. 
Because of the significance of this last plague and everything that was about to happen, God gave Israel some very specific instructions, and that's what Exodus chapter 12 is all about. So let's go back there. Chapter 12 of Exodus, that's where we're at in history, and start reading in verse 1. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, this month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire, with unleavened bread and bitter herbs they shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted, its head with its legs and its inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover, for I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both men and beasts, and all, all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. All right, with me for just a couple of minutes, let's become one of those families in Israel. Can you go there with me in your mind's eye? And when you look at this lamb taken into your home on the 10th of the month, how are you going to think about that lamb? I think we're going to look at that lamb, and we're going to think about it. Well, it means deliverance from death. This lamb, one year old, is going to be the difference between life and death for the oldest child in your home and for anybody else in the home who's firstborn, including animals. That lamb's blood is going to be used to mark the doorway to the home. Now imagine applying that blood on the doorway of your home. Imagine seeing it on your neighbor's doorway over there across the street. Yeah, the Joneses are doing it too. Egyptians don't have that. And that night, while there are shrieks over death in Egypt, you stay inside your house safe marked by the blood of that lamb. Delivery from death. It also means, as you look at it, delivery from slavery. Deliverance from slavery. 
The night of the Lord's Passover is also the night that Israel is freed from slavery. It's been over 400 years. These people grew up as multi-generational slaves. And the night that the Passover lamb is slaughtered and eaten is also the night they're set free. You look at that lamb and think about it. That lamb means I need to act. Because Israel is given something to do, aren't they? Passover is a participation event. Think about that. The lamb, in this case, is the focus, but the lamb's blood isn't going to make it onto the doorway without the hands of somebody taking it there and putting it there. There's something to do. You look at that lamb and you also think it means that a sacrifice is going to be necessary. God instructed everyone, take a year-old lamb into your home and keep it. Look at verse 6. The word there for keep is the word that's used like when you keep a garden. You take care of it. You nurture it. And that lamb, a year old, is full-sized, though it's still considered a lamb. I learned this. It still doesn't have its upper teeth. Lambs will grow their lower teeth, but they're a year old. They still don't have all their uppers in there. It lives in your home with you, nurturing it for four days. What happens when you invest time and energy into a young animal, especially one that tends to be dependent and fluffy and cute? What happens? Your heart goes there. Your heart goes there. The kids give it a name, Lambie. It cuddles up to you. And all along, you know that this lamb is going to be slaughtered so that you can live. You look at that lamb and you realize about it, it means that someone, someone else is paying for your life. That lamb, fast becoming a member of your household, it's not a badger, they have a bad attitude. It's not a porcupine. It's not a skunk. He has done nothing deserving of death. He's innocent. And there is a lesson in that for the family and for you and for me. One of the concepts that we can learn from the Passover lamb is the way that our life, to be spared, will require the death of someone who doesn't deserve to die. And once again, we talked about this last week, God's ways are different than our ways, aren't they? And once again, God is taking the long way to get us where he is taking us. And this one means that lamb is going to die. His blood is going to be smeared on your doorway. And you're not going to miss what happened. When you go to leave your house in Egypt for the last time, when you go to step out and run into freedom, that lamb's lifeblood is going to greet you on the way out the door. Now, why all of this detail from God? It's because the whole Passover event is a type. 
It is the signature stamp. It's the impression that is left. It is a shadow, the footprint. Something profound is going to happen in the years to come. So when God gave the details of this, about how it was all supposed to be done, it's not some random ritual. It's not some remarkable coincidence that's going to play out later. Travel forward several centuries to the city of Jerusalem where Jesus, on the occasion of the annual Passover celebration, has been taken and tried and crucified. And as John describes for us the scene, he is careful to point to the shadow of that first Passover that is now being fulfilled in Jesus. Earth's darkest day is coming to a conclusion Time for the soldiers to wrap up the grim day's work, it being a holiday weekend and all. And for Roman soldiers, that means getting your cross victims to die. You break their legs, which means they'll no longer be able to push up and exhale, so they'll die quicker. But when they come to Jesus, he has already died. No need to break his legs. Just to be sure he has died, one of the soldiers takes his spear and pierces his heart. John chapter 19, verse 31, John describes that scene. Since it was the day of preparation, and so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken that they might be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. He who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true. And he knows that he's telling the truth that you also may believe. For these things took place that the scripture might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And again, another scripture says, they will look on him whom they have pierced. These things that we learn about Israel's Passover are multiplied by a thousand when we consider how all of them pointed to Jesus. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5, 7, Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Remember all that lamb on the first Passover meant, and then look at it in light of Jesus, our deliverance. Our deliverance from death is paid for by the blood of Jesus. Someone else who didn't deserve to die, who is dear to us, died so that we could live. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Because the payment for sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And in that new life, he sets us free from slavery to sin without a bone being broken, he was completely 
killed. And we are marked with the blood of Jesus. And God's wrath passes over us. You and I, we have something that every person up until the time of Jesus couldn't have. Israel had the Passover as a required holiday for centuries, but they could never appreciate what it was really pointing to. Today, as Jews around the world celebrate Passover every year, right around the time that we observe Easter, they look back only to the time of Moses and the Exodus. They don't have the whole story in front of them, and so they continue year after year after year in the shadow. Pray for your friends who are Jewish. Pray for them. They need Jesus. How great it is to watch when someone like that who has been celebrating Passover for a lifetime suddenly comes to realize it's all about Jesus. I wonder as I look back at the story of that first Passover if there were any people in Israel who resisted doing what God had given them to do. Remember the movie, The Ten Commandments? I think there's a scene in there where there's one resisting. And I wonder, because I suppose maybe there had been some people there who didn't believe that God really was going to come through the land, pass through the land and strike down the firstborn. Wouldn't be the first time that somebody had listened to Satan's lies instead of believing what God clearly said. And if they chose not to believe that the danger was real and imminent, then why bother with this whole Passover thing? Of course, to think such a thing, they'd have to ignore the nine plagues before that. And if there was just an outside chance that it was true, well, then they had to be willing to risk their lives on a blind hunch. I suppose that Someone today could take that same approach, but I wonder if that's you. In what are you placing your hope, your future? Is it a hunch? Have you received some insider information that's convinced you that God doesn't really mean what he says? What if he does mean what he says? I suppose there might have been some people, could have been some people, who looked around and said, hey, I notice a lot of people aren't doing this. All the Egyptians aren't doing it. I've kind of fit in with them all along. I'm going to go with the flow. I don't want to stick out. Why be different? And it may be true this morning that there are a lot of people who aren't happy to step up and take what God is handing to them. You know, the Egyptians suffered terrible loss, including Pharaoh himself. And I remember the words of Jesus, how he told us that broad is the way and, and that leads to destruction, and many are those who find it. But narrow is the way that leads to life. Few are those who find it. You and I, we just happen to be in the right place this morning. We just happen to be looking at the right thing to hear God's plan for salvation and if that's the only way to life forever, and if that's the only way to a free life now, why would you let what other people are doing keep you from doing it?
I suppose there could have been some Israelites who were so used to their life of slavery in Egypt that the idea of freedom didn't sound better. Sure enough, once, <laughs> read it, read the story. Once they're out and as soon as they're facing difficulties, there's a bunch of them who start trying to convince one another that life back in slavery was so much better. Apparently they forgot the whip of the taskmasters and the abuse and the murder of their baby sons. If only they could have watched a video of what life like a slave was really like, maybe it would have helped the ones who dared to say they were better off when they were in chains. And it might be true this morning that there are people who are living in slavery to sin who just can't bring themselves to picture how being set free from sin by Jesus is so much better. If that's you this morning, would you have a moment of honesty with yourself? Are you really free? Don't you want to be? I suppose there might have been some people in Israel who were just plain afraid of the unknown. They'd never lived as a nation on their own. They were headed out into the wilderness into a life that they had never experienced and maybe they felt more secure in the idea of just staying behind. So what could they do? Afraid of the unknown. <laughs> Sounds a lot like adulthood. Sounds a lot like marriage. Sounds a lot like becoming parents. Sounds a lot like entering the workforce. Sounds a lot like retirement. Sounds a lot like growing old. Sounds a lot like facing the end of life here on earth, doesn't it? So what are you going to do? Are you going to try to avoid all of those things in life so that you never face the unknown? Most of them are coming at you, like it or not, ready or not, familiar or not. Especially that last one. For all of us, yeah, death. Become familiar with how all that's going to turn out or you can hold off like you're somehow going to avoid it. But you know what? Most of the people I've met have never managed that. When God gave Israel the Passover plan, he was giving them exactly what they needed to live, to be free, and to begin their journey to the better place that he was preparing for them. That sounds pretty good to me. He has done the same for you and for me. Christ, the Passover, has been sacrificed. His blood frees us from slavery to sin, to a new life in him. His blood saves us from death, spiritual death, so that we can live forever. And just like Passover, this is a participation event. There's something for us to do. Just like those people in Israel had to take action, nobody forces this on you, but there is something for you to do so that you can be marked with the blood of Jesus Christ and God's wrath will pass over. I'm not sure why anybody who understands that would say no to it. But if you've never accepted Jesus Christ as Lord in your life, you've never accepted the gift of his death on your behalf, that's where you're living this morning. And you've got an opportunity to do something.
So on his behalf, we are inviting you. We're inviting you to take Jesus as Lord of your life. It means repenting of your old life. It does mean saying goodbye to the old life. Haven't you had enough of it? Stepping into free life in him. It means acknowledging that Jesus is really who he claimed to be and that you need him as your Savior. That you can't do this on your own. It means being baptized into him in water. Yeah. Lowered and raised up just like a dead person is buried and then raised to new life in Jesus. That's what he's inviting you to. If you need to make that choice this morning, I hope that you will. Hope that you'll make sure that God's wrath will pass over you. If that's the choice you need to make, I'm going to be right here in the front this morning. And I'd like for you to come up and just speak with me and talk to me about your relationship with the Lord. Let's, let's talk about this. If you're online and you realize this is something that you need, then again, please don't just let this slide by today. Get in contact with us, cccrockford.org slash connect. We'll have somebody ready to speak with you and help you know, what do I need to do? What does God say I need? Let's stand up together. Let's pray as we come to this, this time to do something with God's Word. Father, thank you for the way that it's not just a, an amazing story, but it's the way that you laid out a plan that gives such a vivid picture, not only of our need, but also of the way that you have made a way for us Thank you that today we can take a look back and understand that better. And I pray, God, that this will impress this truth more deeply into our hearts, our need for you and the way that there has been one who has died on our behalf. So today, God, help us please to, if we're already in that life, to live like it. And Lord, if we haven't, that there's someone listening today right now uh, with a head bowed speaking to you, God, I pray that this will be a day for decisions, the choice to follow you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.